Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about movies. Hmm. So, Caleb, we're almost into the election, and there's a bunch of what-ifs. Like, I know today, I was watching CNN, and they were going through... What if the Electoral College was a perfect tie? Like, what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. But honestly, hold on one second. About, I don't want to talk about it. Terrell, we're not going to talk about it. To all our listeners, make sure you are voting. Please. Early voting is open in a lot of states, wherever you are. Uh, mail in your absentee ballot. You probably need to do that this week. It's the last week to do it. For most states, check our social media handles. We are posting when voter registration deadlines are, um, how to mail in your absentee but one of the biggest things is make a voting plan. There are so many guidelines and regu- regulations when it comes to voting by mail that we have some awesome links and some awesome resources on our Instagram and our Twitter just to let you know how can you do that appropriately and make sure that your voice is heard this November. Yes, and with that voting plan, get a couple friends together if you're voting in person and just go with them. If Hold you each have other friends, accountable. If you have friends. <laughs> you really like making and if you feel safe to do so. Also true, because we are in a pandemic, and that is something that is hard to remember in certain states and certain places. But as I think we're starting to ride our second slash third wave, it's always important to remember, be safe, make sure that you're protecting your health and well-being, but also make sure that your vote, your voice is heard. Yes. And Terrell, what were you saying? Yeah, since you cut me off. Um <laughs> So not talking about the what ifs of the election, because I know we're going to have more than enough to talk about that Tuesday. But I think it would be super cool to ask you and like we can both talk about it, obviously. But what if you were given the option to go back in time? What's one historical event or multiple? Because sometimes I know you're scattered. What are (laughs) okay? (laughs) What? What is one historical event that you would change? And like, tell me why. Well, Terrell, this is a really good question. I don't know if I have a good answer for you. I don't know if there's a historical event. I mean, obviously, there's so many historical events to choose from, um, to change. But then you kind of start to go into, okay, how does that change our lives right now? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're not sitting across the table from each other. Yeah. If I change something. But, you know, I'll just talk about a couple things I'm really kind of quite fascinated by. And two, they're kind of two different things. The first one is, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but the money pit on a little island called Oak Island off the coast of Newfoundland. Mm. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know what this is, um, I believe it was late 1700s, couple teenagers are on this tiny little island called Oak Island. And they notice that there's like a divot in the ground and there's some like wood in it. And they're like, oh, what's this? And they start digging. And every 10 feet for like the 90 feet that they dug out of it was wooden planks. And at the at like the 90 foot spot, I believe it was the 90 foot spot, they found like a stone that had like weird carvings on it and stuff. And everyone's like, oh, what's this? And over the years, just, but there's been massive expeditions of this money pit on Oak Island and they're still doing it right now. And there's just been like just crazy history behind it. Like they've found like different like coins from Spanish, from, from the British, from mm-hmm. um, just, just a lot of crazy stuff. There's been a lot of theories. There's been like, I really like the Templar theory that the Templars were actually the first that actually, that came to North America. There's a weird thing where one of the Templar flags, there's like, there's like a native there's just really weird connections all over the place. There's like a Templar cross on some stones kind of around the area. Um, there's weird placement of stones. They found like coconut fibers in one of the beaches. Um, no, yeah, like coconut. The closest coconut fiber is like the Bahamas or something crazy. It's just weird stuff going on. They've just found they've found so many things. They found pottery. They drilled down 200 feet into the earth. They found pottery. They found even a little bit of gold chain. Um, the problem is, is that when they started digging down into the hole, like there was like they filled up, it filled up with seawater. So they've mm. literally located like drains, like box drains, like tunnels of where the booby trap was set. And there's like literal caves down there 
but it's almost it's really hard to get down i don't know bottom of the money pit like 200 feet in the ground it's crazy but there's this really interesting thing um with the indigenous people one of the indigenous tribes that was not necessarily on oak island but like like on that kind of area of the coast of newfoundland Mm -hmm that have a flag that is an exact, like their, their tribal flag is, is an exact mirror of one of the Templar flags, huh. which is just like, come on. Like, is that coincidence? I don't know. But there's like weird theories about the Spanish, even the British. Um, there was actually, uh, in, during the revolutionary war, there was a slave who, uh, basically earned his freedom by fighting the revolutionary war with the British. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to Oak Island, was a farmer, but suddenly became super rich and wealthy out of nowhere. Nobody knows how, because you don't make that much money doing what he was doing on Oak Island. Yeah. So they think that he found some of the treasure, just a lot of crazy stuff. So I kind of rambled on there for a little while. Have you ever read the Magic Treehouse books? <laughs> when I was little, I read so many of them. I was actually a good reader. <laughs> In my elementary school years. <laughs> well, that's what this is, this is like. One, that's what this "what if" making me think about. But like that, all of that is maybe it's not so much what if, like what would you change, but just like what would you want to go see? And just hearing this has been fascinating. Oh my gosh! Um, quick side note: uh, actually, one of the treasure hunters uh, back in the day was none other than Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Really? Yeah. Weird. There's pictures of him like with a shovel, like digging up stuff. Crazy. He's such a fascinating character. Yeah. But anyways, um, I mean, I think I want to go to the island sometime. Yeah. There's like, it's called, so there's a TV show on History Channel that's still going called The Curse of Oak Island. And it's a curse because I don't really know a hundred, I don't remember where the curse came from, but apparently seven people have to die before they'll find the treasure. And so far, six people have died treasure hunting there. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of crazy. But, um, <laughs> but like I... I would love to go see the island. I don't know if there's something in history I'd like to change, but man, would I like to know the treasure? Maybe what I would like to change is instead of like over the years, like the island's literally been destroyed because people who have money go in, dig up half the island, and then they lose, they don't have any more money. So they just kind of bulldoze it back mm-hmm. and it's kind of ruined even trying to find it it's also ruined of course the island and that's sad with the environment but um maybe i would change like taking smarter approaches to like okay like this is a mystery how are we going to solve it Mm -hmm. um and not destroying half the island and doing so yeah but otherwise yeah completely completely fascinating stuff interesting the other thing just just really quick um because i'm only supposed to have one is I said always... multiple for a reason. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I've always been absolutely fascinated by the Nazi regime. And I know like, I feel like a lot of people are like in their history classes in high school and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, like World War II is so fascinating. Not really World War II. I'm just really, it still blows my mind just looking at back at the history and stuff mm-hmm. about how much they built up in less than a decade. Yeah, there's concrete structures that have the Nazi insignia on it all over the world. Um, massive caves um, that help that hold like held like shells, like bombshells and torpedoes and stuff like on islands, um, like off Africa. There was Hitler youth schools all over Argentina. Mm-hmm. But there was also like, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Hunting Hitler on History Channel as well. I have. Um, I was kind of made aware that that show is a bit misleading. In terms of like, oh, did Hitler like live or die and all of that? But they're, they're like, quote unquote, search for where Hitler might have gone leads to South America. And there's an odd amount of structures, concrete structures that are hidden and kind of secret passageways in almost societies like throughout South America. Like it starts in Argentina. It's a little bit in Chile. Like the Patagonia region has mm-hmm. like, like had really rich, like German, like elites there during that time. There's like a house in the middle of Argentine farmland that has like, conc- has a concrete cellar that has like an advanced ventilation system in it. That's just super random. And the people there like, don't like are scared to talk about it still. Yeah. Uh, and that, we're talking about the Nazis mm-hmm. and just the fact that that infrastructure is just all over the world. 
is insane to me. I don't know. That just fascinates me. I don't know what I'd change there besides like just maybe no all the terrible things that happened in World War II and the also Holocaust fair. and all that. But like, it just fascinates me the the level of infrastructure that was able to get built up not only in Germany, but it, across Europe yeah. in across the world. It shows, I, I think in history classes and courses, we have a tendency to um, paint that era and that segment of time as being a, this individual, Hitler, had a mindset, converted Germany and did a lot of terrible things with that. Not so much the fact that it was an ideology that transcended past just Germany and it wasn't just the places that they conquered it was the airwaves it was the newspapers I mean he he was highlighted as the person of the year in the Times magazine like there are so many different ways that his message was able to protrude and break out um, globally and I think yeah that would be fascinating to just See, how did South America become so ingrained with these small emblem emblems? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's just like crazy stuff. Like, I don't know, like the, the Nazis, like there was such a grand vision of like putting like, like for instance, like, like all the art in the world in one spot and one mm-hmm. massive museum that would be like a couple miles of building. <laughs> Um, in Berlin. And so they were stealing art, but there's also like, like with art, they stole like gold and money and stuff. And then there's like, they had tunnels of trains Mm -hmm. and stuff all over the Alps and the Polish Alps. And when the war was ending, they blew up tunnels. Yeah. So like, there's like this, there's kind of a mystery out here, like a lost, there's a train that wasn't accounted for and they call it like the gold train, you know, and whether there was gold on it or not, I think it's debatable and whether it actually exists is also debatable. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the Nazis were smart enough to go, okay, like this is ending and blew up tunnels and stuff. We may never know what else is hiding that we just haven't found. And I mean, like with the hunting Hitler show, one of the interesting things they found was that there was a very like they literally found like a, a way that Hitler could have escaped his bunker because of course they had secret tunnels everywhere. Mm-hmm. But one of the tunnels led directly to where the Brandenburg Gate is. And when you look at the Brandenburg Gate, like today there's trees alongside of it. But if those those trees weren't there when Berlin was half burned to the ground, and there's reports of planes taking off from that area because it was a, it's so long, it's a walkway yeah. that it's a runway. Mm-hmm. So so it's easy to imagine whether it was Hitler or other Nazi elites. Again, um, they say Hitler did die in the bunker, but you know, do you really know? I don't know history, but, (laughs) but whoever was taken off from there, um, it's easy to trace where the planes were went and they traced the planes going to Spain. And then from Spain, they loaded into U-boats and there was U-boat sightings off of Argentina after the war ended. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I mean, we're still finding generals in different South American countries and places. It's crazy. Who would have thought that this what if would lead you into the conspiracy side of things and not me, but it's fine. (laughs) I mean, like, I like to entertain the idea that sometimes history isn't as isn't what it seems or how it's told to us Mm -hmm. as we've learned with a lot of different things probably recently. Yes. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating to me. The thing about this, this quote unquote conspiracy of Hitler not actually dying is whether he died or not. The fact that there was all this infrastructure there gives you almost plausible mm-hmm. belief that he could have lived. Yeah. Like he, like he could have based off just the infrastructure across the world that they created for an event like this. It actually put a chill down my spine. Yeah, it's insanity. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm not saying it's real. I'm not trying to, you know, peddle conspiracy theories here. I'm just saying that it's not impossible. Yeah. And it's, again, magic, uh, magic treehouse. Magic treehouse. Here, like, it, you could go back to that time and know the answer, at least be able to understand the extent to which there are words and there are things that we aren't hearing because like you said, tunnels were destroyed and there were secrets that were kept that even today we don't know the answers to. Yeah, no. Um, 
Wow, I went off on a tangent on that. If everyone's <laughs> bored of me and talking about history, I think it's Terrell's turn, so you're in luck. I mean, it's still going to be historical, but just for just out of curiosity, my I think my one event, Magic Treehouse style or changing whatever you <laughs> want to go with. Treehouse, you're giving me like childhood memories. It was one of my favorite so book good. series. They were so good. I haven't heard of that in like years. But it would be what if Abraham Lincoln lived, wasn't assassinated, or even if he was shot, what if they were able to save him in his house? Um, so you're talking about like after Civil War reconstruction. Reconstruction period. I I think to me, there there was a great possibility that had Abraham Lincoln lived through his full term, our country reconstruction, even my life would be unrecognizable to this day. Um, specifically in the fact that, and I know people will say, would he really have done that much? And are there really that many places where he could have seen things? Those are my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I I personally think knowing that Abraham Lincoln had a plan, also understanding that the alternative to him was very much more on the side of let the South be, they will be fine. I even mirror it to where we are in present day. The Oval Office in the White House has such a microphone for the country to set a tone, to impact how how we move forward. And one thing that was a part of Abraham Lincoln's plan was keeping troops in the South during Reconstruction and really having this accountability matrix to ensure that African-Americans felt there was a chance for them to belong in the country that they had called home for hundreds of years. And while some might argue and some might say that we still would end up or be near where we are because Supreme Court decisions, things of that nature. Um, I really think that had he survived or had he not been assassinated, um, the microphone that he would have provided versus the microphone that we got under Andrew Johnson would have been so starkly different that groups like the KKK wouldn't have as much power as they do. The, the ideology the ideology may have existed, but their ability to run rampant and control such a narrative under Andrew Johnson, I just personally don't think would have existed under Abraham Lincoln. You know, Terrell, I have to wonder, do you think you're putting too much trust in what Abraham Lincoln could have been if he were not to die? And what reconstruction could have been if he did not die? No, maybe it's a bias because I like to think that this is thought out to some extent, but I, I think there's, there's something to be thought about even just from that one example of um, the military being in the South and African-Americans feeling like their government is showing up for them. I, I think there would be pushback. And I, I mean, there's a reason an assassination, an assassination attempt was taken on Abraham Lincoln's life. But I think to other states that weighed the conversation of slavery, um, like the union wasn't perfect. It, you were separate, but equal even then. And equal was a very loose term. But if you were a state like Ohio and you had politicians who were making arguments of how to keep um people of color away from the white populace, what power and what, what ability do you have when you look just a few states down and see Alabama has troops marching around and ensuring that African-Americans are able to vote freely, who are making sure that they're not being intimidated, who are actually genuinely enforcing and looking at what does it mean for these people who've been enslaved for hundreds of years to be a part of a society without them hanging from trees? 
I think it becomes really hard for other states to let that ideology fester and take such a, a firm hold because then you question, all right, I'm a part of this country. I saw the South break free and try to continue to have that mindset. They lost the war and now the government is ensuring that they come back better, uh, not to Joe Biden, um, build back better. Um, <laughs> but I think you have states have a lot harder time falling into this narrative of, well, we don't have to treat them a certain way just because we're in the North. They're not going to look this way. I think that the, the federal government gets put in the space of if we're applying this to the South, yes, they lost the war. And yes, we're we're trying to bring them back in. We apply it everywhere. But we have to apply it everywhere because we're a union. We're supposed to be together. And I, I even think to um, something like this might then lead into a, another thought of, well, would MLK exist or would mm. would the 1960s have been the same? And I, I think to John Lewis's quote of um, it, justice is never a straight line. It always bends. And whether Reconstruction goes as I'm imagining where there's hope and there's a chance of feeling included and feeling like you're a part of a country, uh, I think even in the 1960s, you still would have places of maybe the conversation is, and I have a dream that um, my children can can be accepted and and have friends that are a different color. Maybe then that conversation is, I have a dream of the first black president, or I have a dream that uh, mm-hmm. the the black boy or the black girl are able to really have a hold of power, and you see that shift. Um, so I, I, I just think that, yes, there's a reason and there's a justification there, but I really genuinely think that if that is a place and that is a space where the federal government stepped in and was forceful, the ideology might stay, but the power behind that ideology would not be where it is today. Wow. Wow. I only have one last question, Terrell. Hit me. The way that you imagine this going is there still space there for uh, retaliation, let's say, like Mm -hmm. KKK or just white supremacist groups in general? Absolutely. um, Kind of rearing their ugly head. Absolutely. But what's the difference? I I still lean to that power piece. I think the retaliation's there, but there's an opportunity that, and I kind of lean to what we spoke about with um, Hitler and the Nazis, there's an opportunity for the country to tamper the widespread ideology. There's an opportunity for that message to be a little bit more contact tracing um, (laughs) to be a little bit more focused and specific to there's a group in Alabama that is genuinely giving us a rut. Well, Mississippi has actually turned everything around and the elections have been fair. We're going to move tro- we're going to move troops from Mississippi to Alabama to help tamper down that narrative so that again reconstruction can genuinely be what it is. And I, again, I I own and understand that this might just be a a fluke dream, but <laughs> I I guess in my mind understanding that Andrew Johnson was impeached and nearly removed because he was a racist. Um, There was hope in the promise that Abraham Lincoln made with the Emancipation Proclamation, with the amendments that were pushed through before um, his assassination. And I, I think to Martin Luther King and Reverend Al Sharpton having their marches at the Lincoln Memorial and speaking to it was him who made that promise. And it, it was a promise that I not knowing any better, um, have faith that he would have tried to keep. I think that says it all. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's my, what if that's where I think. Wow. What a fun, what if segment, (laughs) a huge history lesson for our viewers. That's for sure. Well, history slash conspiracy lesson, big history lessons only, only,
So Terrell, what kind of uh, stuck out to you in the headlines this week? Mm, it's kind of in the cluster this week. Um, <laughs> I think one of the most notable things, and I apologize now that I might just get heated and start ranting, but one of the most notable things that have stuck out to me um, from a political sphere is the Senate Democrats are on a war path, honestly, against Senator Dianne Feinstein. What's going on? Well, after the lovely Amy Coney Barrett hearings, um, Senator Feinstein took a opportunity to try to reset the narrative. I think all of us can agree that politics have become nasty. They become aggressive. And I, I understand where the Senate Democrats are coming from and some Democratic groups of um, it's to the fault of some Republican leaders. But she really took an opportunity to highlight and recognize that Lindsey Graham, the man, has been a person and a close friend to her. And she used her closing statement to admonish him a little bit and and thank him for um, not completely derailing the process, allowing the minority to speak and ask questions and really just kind of paying homage to the institution that is the Senate. And then she hugged him as they were getting ready to leave. They were both wearing masks, all that jazz. Hold on, Terrell. Are you talking about the Lindsey Graham that we played in our episode, I Dissent, which was our RBG episode at the very end of the episode in 2016, when he said, we're setting a precedent on judicial Supreme Court nominees. And completely blew right past it. Yep, definitely talking about that Lindsey Graham. Okay, so tell me more about this. Well, after this happened multiple groups, non-governmental organizations came out and essentially said that she was not qualified enough to be the leader of the Judiciary Committee anymore and called for her to be removed from her position. So much so that the minority leader, um, Chuck Schumer, had a call with her on Tuesday that was quote unquote long and serious. Um, And there are questions about whether she'll remain in her leadership position. Mind you, She is the first female to ever serve in a leadership position for the Judiciary Committee of either party um, in the Senate. And all of all of it is potentially going to end because she took a second to try to bridge a gap that has only gotten wider and become just toxic um, with her Republican colleague. So I sense that you have some feelings about this mm-hmm. um i was trying to be polite <laughs> well time to be rude what's going on well before i jump into that the other headline that has actually fascinated me this week um is in reference to the avengers of all things and chris pratt on twitter wait wait a second avengers but chris Pratt was the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yes. But he also was in the Avengers. He was in Endgame. And he's also um, in Parks and Rec, for those of you who like Parks and Rec. Um, There was one of those Twitter things going around where it has four different pictures and it says, which one are you going to get rid of? And it was all the Chris's from Avengers. So Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt. I forgot the other two Chris's. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What was one of them? The Chris that plays Captain America? Yes. Is there another Chris? There's another Chris. Wow. Anyways, go on. Um, And everyone said, get rid of Chris Pratt. Like of all the Chris's in this collage. Out of the four Chris men, it's it's Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Wow. And then they started highlighting his religion and some problematic things he said. Why were they getting, why? Why are people getting rid of Chris Pratt? What's going on? He's just not, he's not the best Chris in the Avengers. Like, what are you going to do? That's it? You're going to get rid of Captain America or... Thor? No. And I forget who the other Chris is. So maybe he probably could have gone, but I'm sure he's somewhat. Uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man's real name is Chris, but I forget what his last no, name is. No, that's Paul Rudd. Oh, never mind. <laughs> but so so everyone's like, okay, if there was any Chris in the Avengers to get rid of, it's Chris Pratt. Well, but I feel like out of those four, just out of those four. Yeah, in the Avengers. Yeah. He's just so he's not so, the best one. But is that is that why they're saying get rid of him? Yeah, that's why. They, well, that's mostly why. 
but oh, okay. kind of took a turn and people started highlighting how problematic he is with some things that he said. Oh, um, what has he said? Um, making reference to his potential support of Trump and people not mm. feeling comfortable there. Um, how he speaks to and talks about women, a lot of different things. Oh, yes. So this all happened maybe on a Sunday. By Tuesday, essentially the entire cast of the Avengers had come out in support of Chris Pratt and spoke to why he is a good person, why Twitter, um, this Twitter conversation is inappropriate, and really just were in full support. Here's where the story gets interesting. Just full support of him as a person. Yes. And he's a good friend. And He's a good friend. He's a good person. It's inappropriate to start diving into his views and in and. So, like, now I'm curious. I'm a little bit, obviously, I think, in my opinion, it's problematic if you're uh, a Trump supporter. Sorry to those who are Trump supporters. I think you just need to look at everything characters. Uh, and I think Trump has a really bad one. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing with Chris Pratt that you mentioned was how he talks to women. And I'm really kind of interested. Well, that's where it gets interesting. Okay. <laughs> So Twitter then, the people of Twitter, rebutted of it's funny that the Avengers will jump to the defense of Chris Pratt, but will let Brie Larson just be brutalized and demeaned by men and all of the people anytime she... And who's Brie Larson again? She was Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yes. She basically Um, saved the day. She did. For the Avengers. For the Avengers. And she's just a she's a good actress. I have no opinions for her left or right. Yeah. But it started this whole conversation about the unequal treatment that women get in the spot in spotlight. And I the reason I bring up both of these is because I feel the same way with Senator Feinstein of yes, we might have purity tests and we might have conversations around she shouldn't be able to say that Lindsey Graham did anything right because he's putting us in the space. But at the end of the day, she's doing the same thing that Joe Biden is doing right now of trying to bridge that political gap and find some sense of at the end of the day, we need to understand that our institutions need to function and we need to um, understand that we're all Americans. And I think that Chris Pratt is just a, a, a pop culture example of how we do that in such a subliminal way of owning and accepting that, oh, well, Chris Pratt's a good guy. Y'all shouldn't be talking about him or speaking to him this way. Meanwhile, everyone tried to make an argument about why Brie Larson wasn't qualified enough to be Captain Marvel, why Captain Marvel shouldn't have saved the day in Avengers because it's unrealistic and she wouldn't be that invincible and, 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 and I, that, that is the frustration that I have right now with these two headlines specifically, but just with where everything is of we're having conversations about black lives matter and how we need to be more inclusive and more equitable, but we're still not treating our women equitably. And we have the Brianna Taylors who aren't getting fair justice and finally trying to have conversations about that, but we're still Mm -hmm. seeing in conversations and actions and all of these small ways that, at the end of the day, our conversations about equity just aren't good enough. Yeah. Uh, if there's anything to say, we have a long way to go as a country in even just having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the action that follows or should follow. Yeah. But that's my rant. What is, <laughs> what have been your headlines? What have you noticed that has been happening? Yeah. So look, we're going to do a bunch of election stuff yeah. in the coming weeks, especially on election day. So stay tuned for all of that. But um, I couldn't help myself. One of my headlines is about the election. Um, and it's just a political uh, magazine article um, by Tim Alberta that says two more funny feelings. The headline is two more funny feelings about 2020. Um And I was reading it, you know, the first one is the suburban realignment isn't just a female phenomenon. So uh, it basically just goes into, oh, Trump's like the the Trump, Trump's diminishing support among white suburban college educated women um, is why Joe Biden will win. And 
he just basically goes through and says that's not the full story. Mm-hmm. But the main one I really wanted to focus on is his second one where he says, we're overthinking this campaign. He starts off by recognizing that 220,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. Um, and then millions of more adults are working from home and some children aren't going to school or they're, or they're doing school from home, which of course is not normal. Um, and then of course, all the protests going on and, uh, you know, just, just all the unrest. And he recognizes that all this is politically significant, but that's not why Trump will lose. Hmm. He says Trump will lose because it will be his unlikability. And basically his argument here is we're overthinking why Trump will lose. It's as simple as people don't like him. So, um, in Arizona right now, which is turning into quite the battleground state, um, if you've been following the election, sometimes he says, quote, sometimes you hear a voter say something so basic, so one-dimensional, so one-dimensional that you're inclined to dismiss it until you hear it for the thousandth time. That's the story of this election all across America in conversations with voters about their choices. This November, I've been hearing the same thing over and over again. I don't like Trump. And that's really fascinating to me. Um, he goes on to say that like one of the kind of remarkable things about this is that these conversations don't even mention Joe Biden. So like people who have already voted, they interviewed them mm-hmm. and those people were like, yeah, we're tired of this guy. We don't like Trump did not bring up Joe Biden at all, even though they just voted for him, Yeah, which is fascinating. And I think that kind of goes to show that something that's really bad for Trump is if the election is a referendum on him and Joe Biden has done a good job of making that narrative a reality. Absolutely. Um, but kind of something to all my beer lovers out there, uh, I'm just going to read this paragraph. You might like it. I liked it. So here we go. He goes on to say, quote, generations of pollsters and journalists have fixated on the question of which candidate voters would rather have a beer with all my beer lovers a window into how personality translates into political success here's the thing americans have been having a beer with trump for the past four years every morning every afternoon every evening he has made himself more accessible than any president in history using the white house as a performance stage and twitter (laughs) as a real-time diary for all to read like the drunk at the bar he won't shut up huh thought that was kind of funny and also a hot take quite the take Maybe not a hot take, but quite the take. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of with this, like he even interviewed um, kind of a up, a up and coming Republican in the House, Dan Crenshaw, hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. Republican congressman from Texas. Yeah. And even Crenshaw was talking about how people, even in his own district, just dislike Trump. And he says it's just that simple. Yeah. I can't believe we're still doing the who would you like to have a beer with question in polls, but hey, it is what it is. Hey, you know, some people it's all phone, no beer. Thank you, Amy Klobuchar, for that amazing 10 out of 10 joke. My second one is actually (laughs) kind of what we are (laughs) kind of leading into with the main theme of this podcast, although we have spent a lot of time on history. We did spend a lot of time on history today. Um, It's an opinion piece in the Washington Post by Megan McArdle. I really hope I said that right. Um, And the headline is, be prepared to say goodbye to movie theaters. And, you know, my instant reaction to this is, no, because I really like movie theaters. I don't frequent them, like, every week. But I will say that, like, there's, there's nothing quite like going to a movie theater for me. I don't know. I don't know. Like, obviously, like, there's plenty of movies that you can watch just as well in your own home. Yeah, I can lay in my bed and watch it. Yeah, I know. But I don't know. I like I like going with some friends. We go to the movie. You know, we buy some overpriced popcorn. You know, we, <laughs> not not a not a rip against movie theaters. I like buying overpriced popcorn and sharing it amongst friends and switching off who pays for that every week. Yep. And watching a movie that, let's be honest, my home theater, it's not really a home theater. You have a sound bar. I do have a sound bar. I feel exposed, <laughs> <laughs> but 
my quote unquote air quotes home theater just doesn't capture the awe of what certain movies in a movie theater can bring sometimes. So what do you feel like you're missing? Well, I'll get into that a little more because I have some examples, but I do want to talk about this movie. That was my long winded impression of the, of the headline. And so, so this, this columnist is, you know, talking about how she married a movie critic and realized that she'd probably never watch a movie, a movie in a theater again, because her spouse um, is a movie critic and quite literally would always just go watch the movies in a movie theater. But guests aren't really invited to those really yeah so um sometimes they forbid guests so she just doesn't really get to you would think you would be allowed to bring your spouse at least or like a significant other yeah i have no idea Interesting. but but the main thing that's really causing theaters to be bad <laughs> is COVID 19. um obviously enclosed indoor spaces with a lot of people in one area not a good move is Bad for your health. Hmm. I know. So here's the thing. So some of the the big blockbuster movies that um, should have been coming out this year, like Black Widow. um, The new Wonder Woman. The new Wonder Woman, yes. Uh, Even the new James Bond, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I just like a good, I just, yeah, I just like a good spy movie. And James Bond is just such a classic. You can't go wrong. Um, Regardless. Um, a lot of those are being pushed to 2021, like deep into the year, even and movie theaters are closing down and, um, you know, studios aren't making money. Mm-hmm. And even the columnist recognizes that we may never watch a movie in a movie theater again because of this, because, really? because studios are losing so much money, they can't afford to go another year. But when you have directors like Christopher Nolan, who, hmm. Flat out I said, haven't even gotten to that point. <laughs> but he flat out said he wasn't going to let his movie be shown at home because it never it wasn't intended for that. Do you think more directors and more producers might lean that way? So yes, I do because also something else that the columnist uh, kind of maybe slightly agreed with your point in a way. Um, Disney's Milan, they threw it thirty. It was thirty bucks on Disney Plus. Made no sense. Yeah, it didn't really make a lot of sense. 30 bucks? Yeah, I don't know. That's like... When you already pay for a subscription? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Look, (laughs) look, look. Besides all the... I don't know. I I haven't watched it. I don't know if it's any good. I've heard it sucks. I heard it it was disappointing. Um, And then Disney, of course, had the controversy. But regardless, Disney put that on Disney+. Plus, But they also have Black Widow coming out. And they haven't made the decision to put on Disney plus, which means that Mulan did not get the viewers that they wanted and did not make the money that they wanted. Yeah. So they're still banking on the movie theater idea, but the reality is that movie theaters might not be kind of part of the entertainment atmosphere as much as we thought, as much as they have been in the past anymore to kind of a scary, almost deficit. I look, I, I know this is dear to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad. But do movie theaters get reimagined slash just go back to the past? Are we seeing I hope so. a rise in drive-ins? Yeah, yeah. You know, my sister actually went to a drive-in movie the other night. And yeah, that might work too. I Like the columnist actually mentioned that too, that <laughs> studios, um, it's not studios, but theaters first attracted people with with kind of smaller like viewings, mm-hmm. like private viewings. And then it was just kind of out there for many months instead of it hits all the theaters at once and it stays there for only like a month or two. Yeah. And that's what Christopher Nolan tried to do with his movie Tenet. And Tenet, I think, is probably one of my favorite movies. Yes, I saw it. Not only once, but twice. I went into a theater and yes, you may be thinking, why go to a theater in the middle of a pandemic in an enclosed indoor space? It was open. It's a little sus. It was open. It was open. Idaho was in a decent place at that point in time. Look. You can be smart. Look, to all those people out there going, what the hell are you doing? Look, all I can say is if if the movie theater was crowded, I wasn't going to go. Yeah. And I went and both times I went, 
only two other people in the whole theater and we wore masks. Like I was, I felt pretty comfortable doing that. And I think there's ways that you can feel comfortable in a movie theater, but like, I don't know, tenant to me, like just could go off on that for a second. Here we go. Christopher Nolan film and Christopher Nolan said, no, like I'm putting this in theaters. I refuse to put it on Netflix or a streaming service because this is a movie that's made for the theater. It's not Mm -hmm. made for your home theater. It's made for a theater. And I got to say that I didn't know exactly what he meant by that until I watched the movie. And I don't think I, I will definitely watch it at home. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, it's an experience in a movie theater that you need to do at least two times because that movie can't be experienced in one viewing. But what does that mean for like, what does that mean for DVDs and DVDs? Well, who are you? Do we not do DVDs anymore? No, it's Netflix, man. Well, okay, fine. Netflix. <laughs> it's streamers. But it's streamers. But what does that do for that market? Like, I understand where Christopher Nolan's coming from completely. And uh sound and projection and the way that a movie is done in a theater completely understand. But by making a statement like that, are you putting yourself in a space of well, why are we showing this at home? Like, are you trying to say that now that I haven't been able to see Tenet because movie theaters are closed again, I shouldn't even watch it at home? No, I'm not necessarily saying that, Terrell. I think everybody needs to see Tenet. Um, Just turn up your volume really loud because that movie has, that movie is a very fast paced movie. And like I said, you got to experience it. There's scenes in the front end of it that make, they make, somewhat sense if you kind of grasp what they're doing um in the front end but then in the back end you realize that you missed all of the storyline from the front end yeah because there's so many things happening in one scene that you didn't even realize Hmm. until the end and sounds like an inception i know it's amazing but (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh like i drool over this stuff but tenet's just tenet's soundtrack is it pumps into you Mm -hmm. in the theater the thing about the theater for me is it's this, of course, it's this enclosed space. And, you know, some people out here are like, why would I go to a theater that costs so much money just for me to get a candy bar or concessions? If or you're whatnot? only getting a candy bar from a movie, you are not doing it right. No. Yeah. Yeah. You're not doing it right. By the way, little hack, just ask for a cup of water and it's free. But <laughs> that's like, that's a great, that's a great hack. But yeah, you know, I don't know, like, like Tenet for me was, was being in a theater for the first time in like literally half a year. Tenet for me was this fast paced action movie that had a very interesting time component that I had to think about a long time to wrap my head around. And mm-hmm. if you're not into it, I get it, but it's still worth watching. And the soundtrack of it to you and your soundtracks, I'm. I just love, I love it all when it all comes together so smoothly. Some of the scene, the buildup to the scenes, the craziest scenes in Tenet, the soundtrack booms into you. It's very loud. And I get it if you're not all about super loud spaces, but like, like my body vibrated with the beat. Christopher Nolan does do a really good job of that because that's what happened with um, the last Dark Knight movie. The Dark Knight Rises. Was that The Dark Knight Rises? Why did I think that was the first one? Um, But he did that with a couple of strategic scenes of it was very quiet. You could kind of hear a little music. And uh, I think to the the stadium scene, he when Bane shows up, he purposefully cranked up the sound to like really make you understand that this was a, a change in the story. This was a moment that you had to pay attention to. A moment of significance. And mm. with Tenet, and I know I'm really going off on Tenet right now, it's because I literally mm. haven't seen any other movie for a year. Yeah. Um, with Tenet, just that that booming soundtrack that you felt vibrating within you made you feel like you were in the scene itself. Mm. And that's when I understood why it's a movie that you see in theaters because I just don't feel like I get that experience in my apartment. Just get surround sound. Yeah. Let's have an elitist moment. <laughs> get get surround sound. But what I mean is, I don't know. I don't know. Like my argument for why I love theaters is because like I'm not someone. Some people go like every week. Yeah. 
I don't go every week, but if there's some good new movies coming out, I'll go and see them in the theater. Yeah. And I'll get some friends to go with me. It'll be really fun. Um, but what I like most about it is like, if you go to see a comedy, like you're in a room with complete strangers, but something funny happens and you're all laughing. And I kind of love that. I kind of love that you're all laughing. I, uh, watched hereditary in the theaters. And if anyone's seen hereditary, it's a pretty creepy movie. So good. Pretty freaky. I, I liked it, but there's a part at the beginning, you know, kind of how they start off and you know, something is off, but you don't know what it is. And then, and then that part happens. And then all of a sudden you're like, Woo, this movie really just changed its tune. And you're kind of just sitting there like, holy crap, I don't know how to process that. That happened in Hereditary when I was in a full theater and everybody gasped at once yeah. and the whole theater was quiet the whole rest of the movie. There's no way you didn't guess at that moment. That that one scene is so... It's so well put together that it made everyone just kind of go wide-eyed, yeah. gasp in unison and just sit back and go wow, I'm very uncomfortable. Yeah. And like, I just, uh, another experience I had that like some people hate, some people love, some people just think it's funny like me is like, I don't know, with the new Star Wars movies. If you go in anywhere close, like opening week at all. um, Oh my God, all the people who dress up and like just go full. (laughs) But not even that, like when Star Wars comes on, it's like, like right away, you know, and everyone just claps. What? Have you ever had that no. happen to you? Oh, actually, oh, yes. Yeah. But it wasn't to that. It was to The Dark Knight. The first time really? I saw The Dark Knight. People clapped to that? People were so excited. Because I went premiere night. Because it came out around oh, my birthday, I think. Um, and people were so genuinely excited that the entire theater started clapping. To the point, like, wow, I don't. That's not something I do unless the movie's really good at the end. Then I might clap. Um, but I felt so just brought into the group that i started clapping of like it's finally happening so it's funny that you say that because i don't remember what star wars it was it wasn't i don't believe it was the newest one it was probably uh the, the mm. second one i don't know but i was there and oh you know what it was the force awakens it was the first one that disney brought one. back okay that one was worth clapping for because it had been a long time it had been a long time, but you know, it goes bomb, blah, blah, bomb. Everyone's clapping. I'm next to my friend. You know who you are. I won't call you out, but you know who you are. That absolutely despises and hates it when people do that. So everyone's clapping and I'm like, this is cool. And I look over and he's like, holy shit. Like he's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about now. <laughs> he's pissed. And I just go, wow. And I start clapping too. And he's just, he hits me in the arm. He's pissed. But <laughs> I just think that like, like I'm not going to get that sitting in my home. Yeah. And I, those are small moments, but I don't know, in a time of such division and nobody can talk to each other because it's like, oh, if you like this one thing, like, oh, oh now you're not my friend. Like just that kind of bullshit that's going on all the time. Mm. It's like, go to a comedy or movie theater and something makes everyone laugh and everyone laughs. And it's just a small moment of, kind of i guess community even though you don't you're not really talking or getting to know anyone it's just kind of a small moment of oh like we all that 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 toilet scene was funny or what toilet scene i don't know i just of? i don't know i honestly don't know <laughs> um no i completely agree caleb i i you had me thinking like what was the last movie i saw before everything happened and i i can't Okay, it's gonna sound awful, and it, I probably should remember, but I genuinely cannot recall. It was either Joker, hmm. it Joker was a good movie in the theater, or Bad Boys. I don't remember which one. I definitely saw it. How was Bad Boys? Bad Boys was actually really great. If you, I haven't seen the second one. If you've seen all of them, then you really appreciate the third one. If you haven't seen all of them. Watch the second one, and then you might like the third one. It oh, just—it was a I really bet. good. I thought, I thought that was the second one that no, came it was out. Third. Jeez, it was a um, really great wrap up of okay. the trilogy. Um, but I really—I don't remember. But I—I I think to like the point on the sound of the Joker, that movie did a really great job of one taking on a trip, but two um, building you up to a phase of oh, this is where we're at. And all of these things now make sense. And the music carried you there. The The music intensified oh, yeah. as you got to a certain 
point. And that's when you knew, oh, <laughs> we're going for it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing Joker in theater and I was just kind of, yep. I was really focused on it because I don't know. The Joker got a bad rap because a lot of people were criticizing it for glorifying mental health and stuff. But did it glorify mental health though? Uh, you know, I think that's actually debatable. I don't mm -hmm. know if I hundred percent agree. Part of it's the Joker's backstory, but part of it's also um, the story of a city that left its people behind. Also speaking, frankly, I feel like it's one of the first movies to actually do a great job talking about mental health and not glorify it in the sense of, Oh, you just hear voices or, Oh, you're this. It really shows how crippling a mental illness can be, mm -hmm. how it can impact not just your, your mental thoughts, but how you view the world. And I, I just question if people were more so taken aback by actually seeing what people who struggle with mental health issues mm -hmm. saw versus it being glorified. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's definitely, I, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have down the line, but I, I don't know, like, I think you're exactly right. Like I'm kind of really into, I've really grown in appreciation for movies mm -hmm. and certain scenes and how the music flows into it. The soundtrack mm -hmm. really like soundtracks. Um, you have plenty of playlists to prove it. I have one playlist for soundtracks and I listen to it while I do homework. That's my focus playlist. Um, <laughs> but you know, I do have some Joker soundtrack pieces on there. Also tenant. Also another one is moonlight and moonlight to me Love that movie. One best picture a few years ago. It did. Really, um, really great movie. I suggest watching it, recommend it. But it has this interesting soundtrack sequence because the story's told in like three phases. And mm -hmm. one of it's when when the guy's a kid, and one of it's when the guy is kind of uh, more of a teenager, and one of yeah. it's when I think 20s mm. somewhere, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And there's a theme to to his life. And the theme, the soundtrack theme, like you can, if you go and listen to the soundtrack of it, it shows, it's like his theme when he was a kid, his theme when he was a teen, it's the same theme, but it, it matures in sound through every iteration. And I just think that those kind of small details really just add to that experience. And I know we've gotten kind of gotten away from movie theaters, but I don't know. I just think movie theaters like amplify that experience yeah that for me i know it's not true for everyone but for me i just don't feel like i can get in my lonely little apartment i am just a big fan of movie theaters and i hope they don't go away forever <laughs> <laughs> well i question like where do where do we go from here because i i mean from for us we just got to see the end of lovecraft country yes and amazing show hbo max go check it out another free sponsorship uh, <laughs> but it, the way that show was structured each episode felt like it could have been a movie it was only an hour things of that nature are we are we seeing the end of movie theaters are we seeing a renaissance of them or are we starting to see a diversification why well, i decided to use that word here it just fit of all things around movies, pop culture, whether it be Broadway, whether it be TV, are we starting to see that that competitiveness that I would argue the industry was talking about two years ago when they started questioning whether or not streaming services should be counted in the Academy Awards? Are we finally starting to see this diversification happen of how do we have those type of moments across different platforms? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question in the renaissance of, as you put it, diversification of how we get this kind of content. I think I have no problem with things coming out through streaming services. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's just some things that I want to see in a theater. And I just don't want that to go away. Do you think we go back to the... I won't put this on your parents. I'll put this on mine. Do do you think we're <laughs> going to go back to my parents' days of the the smaller theaters, the ones that um, like what's the movie theater in downtown? Uh, 
uh, the Edwards is. Um, yes. It's a Regal Theater. One of the Regal Theaters that it's smaller. It has a smaller feel, but maybe we start having more matinees become a thing. And maybe, do you think we're going to move towards that downsizing or is is the big super theater model just where we're going to be? Well, despite my pessimism and worry that theaters will go away forever, I actually don't think they will. Mm. But I do agree that I think that something is going to have to happen. Something's going to have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, super theaters, I don't think they exist as much anymore, but I think some stay around, stick around. Um, little theaters, I think, do stick around. Um, but I think that, but I don't, I don't think that it's just as simple as, as a movie theater company going, okay, we're shutting down all these theaters. Okay. We're selling off all these theaters. I don't think it's as simple as, okay, we kept these small theaters and we're just going to open it back up. Like it was normal. Like it was 2019 or 2020 pre-March. And <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something like, okay, we're reinventing your experience at a theater. Um, I know like probably one of the better experiences I've had at a movie theater isn't just the typical, okay, like go in concession, sit down, you watch the movie. Um, actually there's a place called the village mm-hmm. in Meridian and they have a, an independent uh, theater there And the independent theater has very comfortable seats. They do. Wow. Um, very comfy, but they also have like an upper section where you can eat dinner mm-hmm. and get drinks from the bar and enjoy it like that. And that to me is a great experience. I would go back to that. Um, it's so weird that y'all don't. I have more of those here. Can I know. I will. I know. I love it. But like, you know, I don't think that's the necessarily the answer. I think it's you're going to see a variety of different ways that theaters try to to differentiate themselves, even in, within their own theaters, possibly. Yeah. For different experiences, and I do look forward to seeing the ideas that might come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just look forward to seeing theaters not go away. Do you think we might move to, well, first, it's so funny that you bring that up because like Kentucky, when I lived there for a while, there were a couple of movie theaters where um, you got your seats, all that jazz, but you literally pressed a button and a server would come to your seat (laughs) wherever you were. And there was a tray. Then in Michigan, they wouldn't come to you in that way, but there were similar things. Um, but do you think, do you think that in those ideas, it's going to be centered on the, what if a pandemic happened again? What if there was another virus or is it just going to be, how do we make people feel comfortable? I, I think to airlines right now of they've changed. Well, some of them have changed mm-hmm. a lot of things to make people feel comfortable, but the model and the structure of airplanes hasn't changed dramatically um, beyond the, we save the middle seat. So there's more social distancing. (laughs) Do you think that's where movie theaters will move towards? Or do you think they will genuinely say, we need to rethink where we are today? I think the challenge for movie theaters is kind of, like I said a couple times now that enclosed space with a lot of people sitting there, I think, I think that movie theaters in the future, when hopefully COVID is gone and there's not another thing um, going on, um, I think that the challenge for movie theaters is like, if we can get past this period of time when there's no movies and survive, yay. But how do we still make people feel comfortable? How do we attract people back? And I'm not sure it's, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just not being creative enough, but I'm not sure what much like much more like how much more you change than the than the model of how you sit down in a movie theater goes Mm -hmm. um obviously it can and i'm sure there's people thinking about unique ways of doing it um but i think that's probably the challenge for movie theaters is how do we reinvent ourselves that in a good time where there's not a deadly virus running around um yeah come sit down Mm -hmm. and you're around a bunch of people and you know, maybe there's flexibility. Maybe if you're like, I'm still a little uncomfy about COVID or whatever it is, or maybe even flu during flu season, maybe here's point. a couple of safety barriers we can put up where you can still be around a lot of people, but yeah. you're less likely to get to, to catch anything from anybody. And 
maybe that's like the contingency plan. If something like this struck us again in the world, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe there's a really good way that maybe a good strategy movie theaters can implement um, that makes it so they don't shut down and they still get profits. Yeah. To and, keep going. And I mean, I, I think movie theaters are dealing with this, but you, you can't discount or discredit the live venues, the concerts that have been pulled, the um, oh, yes. Broadway shows, the symphonies, the musicals. And I, while well, Congress might be having some conversations around there and they're looking at um, bills like save our stages act that would provide um, $10 billion in grants to live venues. I question if they also should start being a part or if there's an opportunity for them to be a part of this conversation of, is it reimagining or is it finding comfort? Because I do think as we've gotten deeper and deeper into this, the, the future is what's the word I'm looking for. The future is, is settled with this of, there's an ownership and there's a growth that comes out of this. The The challenge is, do we see these places of entertainment fall into the department store category of they become antiquated and, and can't move forward? And we're just having acts and grants like this one that throw money to an industry that hasn't adapted to what's happening. Or are there spaces where um, that innovation can truly happen. I think that's a fascinating question. And I think we will just have to wait and see. Yeah, I agree. Over the next few years. Yeah. And I mean, based on how everything turns out in the next few weeks, um, we might have a better idea of what that wait and see does look like. We might. <laughs> Remember, y'all, election night is around the corner. Catch us for our election night special. We'll be on Instagram Live, probably eating McDonald's because <laughs> something that me and Terrell always do is buy McDonald's fries just at 3 fries. in the morning while we're recording this. Um, <laughs> and we will – just fries. Sometimes chicken nuggies. Um, that is you. You're the chicken nuggies guy. I am the chicken nuggies guy. Mm-hmm. They're you know they're worth it with a little honey mustard. That's great. <laughs> and we'll be giving you live coverage of all the crazy shit that will probably happen on election night. And honestly, maybe during the day and maybe during the week and hopefully not, but maybe the month. Um, We'll honestly just plan for January, like crazy shit happened until January. (laughs) We will have special guests and unparalleled analysis of what to watch out for. Mm. We hope to see you there and don't forget to vote. Don't forget to vote. And please follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely and join our conversation for all our listeners out there. You can text us at 208-918-3809 or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com and just be a part of the conversation. Let us know what other thoughts you have or after talking about movies, are there some movies that we should be checking out because you have loved it, seen it, or just think that like Caleb, that movie theater experience is super important. I think it's super important. I hope you do too. I do. Definitely. Well, I was talking to our viewers, Terrell, but I do hope that you also like the movie theater experience. (laughs) But also, yeah, send us your recommendations for TV shows, movies. Maybe we'll talk about it. It'll be great. Topics to discuss during our podcast. Maybe you'll be on our podcast and we'll talk about the movie you recommended. That's definitely possible. Thanks for listening. I'm Terrell. And I'm Caleb. And we're Dangerously Likely to start a podcast. (laughs)